0: This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 63 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, December 27th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'll be taking your questions to round out the year and look ahead to what 2021 brings to the gaming verse as it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I want to offer a quick word of kindness to someone who has made my gaming week better. And because this episode is meant to be a touch unique in the XEP staple, I want to offer words of kindness to you, dear listener, and thank you for checking this show out. It is a joy to get to jump into my hobby and discuss my hobby each and every week and to see those numbers go up and to see people checking out the interviews, the solo shows, to engage with so many of you on Twitter uh, and via email, it is so appreciated. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time to download the show into your podcast service of choice, to listen to the show, whether it is your first time or you've been with me for all 63 episodes. I genuinely appreciate you. Seeing the messages that I get in my DMs or on Xbox Live, it just it really it really adds a wonderful bit of brightness to what what has been a very tumultuous and strange year of 2020 and while in many ways this is a reflective episode as will the next one be i just wanted to say words of kindness to you for for checking this show out now, uh, mentioning this show's format and the next episode's format, this show is going to be largely listener mail in which I will be taking questions from all over the Twitterverse and people that have written in over the last two weeks because I did take a one-week break to kind of decompress and let uh, the stress of the year fade away, celebrate the holiday with family, uh, and then hit, hit it again uh, into this new year. The next episode, if it's if we're able to pull it off, uh, is going to be myself, my good friend Mr. Kevin Butler, who is uh, I need a hero. The threes are e's, no, the e's are threes. Ah, oh, whatever. His Twitch handle's weird, uh, but he's I need a hero. Kevin Butler will be joining me, and uh, Mr. Babbitt will be joining me because we have gamed the entire twenty twenty together from the moment the pandemic began, uh, even before that, really, we've been playing games to get us through the year. And so I thought it'd be a fun episode to bring those two gentlemen on and just chat about our our favorite memories, whether it was, you know, playing Darksiders Genesis and taking turns with who was going to be in there because it's only a two-player game, or whether it was State of Decay or becoming Pirate Legends, playing through all the Halos. We're going to talk about all that and just look back on our year with with multiplayer, with single player, with co-op, competitive. Really just have a a good episode like that. And that will happen once Mr. Bad Bit is healthy. He's feeling under the weather. Um, But in the meantime, I suggest you check out, you know, Mr. Kevin Butler's uh, work. I need a hero on Twitch. The E's are threes, right? That's what it is. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to check him out. He's the hometown hero, so we'll go with that. Uh, but yeah, for this episode, it is it is a reflective episode. So there's not really not really any news to talk about. We've got some games with Gold, which I can shout out very briefly: Little Nightmares, Dead Rising, King of Fighters A13, and the game for the original Xbox Breakdown. Those are coming. But that's really the end of the news right? That's really the end of the news. And so uh, in a moment, I'm going to jump into listener mail and really just talk about uh, all of your questions. And I'm looking forward to it. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for this uh, fun, goofy episode that we're going to have. And I hope you look forward to many more good episodes in 2021. I've already started lining up guests, and I'm excited for you guys to hear from so many of the voices that are going to be joining me in the months of January and February and beyond. So we'll see where that goes. Plenty of questions written in over the past two weeks, and I'm going to start with uh, my friends Stubbs and Rick. Both Stubbs and Rick wrote in asking about the Hive Busters. We'll start with Stubbs first. He says, Luke, what are your thoughts on the Gears 5 Hive Busters DLC without spoilers? And Rick has a follow-up question to that, saying, Hi Luke, after gr- the great work the Coalition did on Gears 5, I was wondering if they should do something different for the next game. But after I played hide- Busters, I really think they should continue to focus on Gears next. What's your take on this, and what do you expect for Gears 6? So let's tackle Stubb's question first, of course. He's asking what my thoughts are on the 3-ish hour DLC, uh, that is a campaign narrative-based DLC, Gears of War Hivebusters. Uh, man, oh man, I loved it. It's three hours, so it's compact. It's not uh, bloated in any means. It has a very ODST-style vibe to it, in which you're playing through the world of Gears of War, and you're playing with all the mechanics, but some of them, their abilities have been augmented to feature some of their multiplayer suite. For example, Keegan can can hit Y, and then you are restocking your ammo for yourself and players around you. Keegan can, uh, that's Keegan rather, but you know, then Mac will throw up a shield, and Lonnie has this really cool knife that electrifies people, and you can play with their abilities and upgrade them through the course of your three hours. But you're playing through different biomes that are not in the Gears 5 standard suite. And if you are new to Gears 5 or you are unfamiliar or you're playing it on an old school Xbox, you should know that Gears 5 is perhaps the best looking first party game of the last generation. And the upgrade that it makes into Xbox Series X is stunning. This is truly one of those games that shows off the power of the Series X. And I wasn't able to take full advantage of the Gears 5 experience until I had an OLED TV as well. So to have a three-hour dive-in like Hivebusters that has story DLC that covers some of the tr- tracks that uh, diehard lore fans like myself will know from the comic books and the novels, uh, but really is its own standalone entity, I think it's great. It's included with Game Pass Ultimate, so you can either pay 20 bucks to, to own it or you can just play it via Game Pass Ultimate, which is what everybody should be doing. Uh, I, I found this to be a wonderful augment to the Gears experience. I think if Gears 5 is daunting to you, because it's a it's a you know 10 plus hour game, then this is a perfect entry point that you'll get the gameplay, you'll see the incredible visuals. As I mentioned, you're in different biomes, so the colors are really popping when you're in the jungle and you're around different trees, uh, and the water effects are just really, really cool. The premise, of course, is that you are uh, this band of three misfits, as every good war story begins with misfits, and you are are moving through trying to uh, locate a way to destroy a, a swarm hive. That's really what you're trying to do, and you're exposed to a new enemy type, that has acid, and you're going to try and harvest that acid to drop into different uh, swarm swarm nests. And that's the premise of Hivebusters. That's not a spoiler. That's just the premise of what the escape mode is uh, in Gears 5. And it really does a good job of, of telling a tale. It's, te- it's telling a tale very fast. There's some character development in it, but it is uh, hastily written in the right ways because it's the, it's the way that you want to consume that story. And the gameplay is just top-notch Gears gameplay. The the frustration, I think, for a lot of people with Gears is that they'll say they just can't get into it. And I totally get that. I totally get that. Gears is for some people, not for others. Same with Halo and Call of Duty and any other game out there. However, the Hivebusters experience is compact enough that if Gears isn't your jam but you still want a great game to play... It's perfect for that. The mechanics are top-notch and, all, and and have been throughout the entirety of Gears 5 as they continue to do refinements. Uh, the multiplayer suite is there, of course. You've got the co-op. You've got the competitive uh, campaign. DLC is, is great to have on top of the regular campaign. I'm in it for Gears 5. Now, to go with Rick's question, I'm asked you, you know, should the Coalition stick with Gears for their next game like Gears 6 or should they veer off... Uh, and do something different. I think that right now the coalition is in a transition period. They had gear this this Gears Trifecta. They had Gears Pop on mobile which didn't do too well. Gears Tactics which was incredible. They of course worked with another studio, but they were they were a part of that. And they had Gears 5 and the multiplayer suite and the High Busters DLC and the competitive suite within that. Within the multiplayer which was co-op based as well. So there's a lot of balls to juggle when it comes to Gears of War. And all in all, I think they did a very good job. Gears 5 is the best Gears of War game to date. It's visually stunning, and the gameplay, as I've said 15 times now, is top-notch. That said, it is not new, right? It isn't special. Gears of War fans know what they're getting. New fans know they're getting Gears of War. There's nothing really uh, revolutionary in that idea. And I, I would say you could say the same about a lot of different, you know, franchises that are out there when you play uncharted you know you're playing uncharted even the incredible uncharted 4 and all that it did for that franchise it was still uncharted right uh so gears is no different in that and whether or not the coalition should take time off after a gears heavy uh run with those three titles i think uh is largely dependent on the studio culture. We saw Rod Ferguson depart, and then in the wake of his departure, they're getting to do more creative things. Uh, I know that from developer interviews and live streams and whatnot. It's nothing like secret there, but they're doing more creative things and they're playing with their characters and their their game styles a little bit more. They're getting a little bit crazier with their maps and whatnot. Uh, maybe they branch off and continue to do some weird things or some more smaller DLCs like Hivebusters. That would be my preference. In fact, this Hivebusters-esque side story thing, I love that. I loved Miles Morales for that reason. I love when I see Uncharted do things like Lost Legacy. I like the idea that that, that God of War Ragnarok might be a, a smaller story uh, and not God of War 2. I like when games split off and do the ODST approach. I hope that Halo Infinite... ...is able to pull that off because they tried that with, with Spartan Ops in Halo 4. They never came to fruition in Halo 5. I like when we see smaller one-off experiences like this. Uh, but as for the Coalition themselves being the ones that, w- that should stick with Gears, I think the answer is yes... I also think they should be allowed to create second and third teams to create whatever they want and flex those muscles. Similar to the way that, like, Obsidian is working on Grounded. Ninja Theory is juggling multiple projects, not just Hellblade 2, but they have Project Mara, they have Project Insight, they had, uh, oh gosh, what was the one that we all kind of played for, like, six minutes? Bleeding Edge, right? I like when studios have multiple teams, and they should be allowed to do that. The Coalition and 343 are both dedicated studios to their respective properties, and I would like to see them continue on those properties because they both do a very good job with their franchises, but they should branch a bit. We should be getting more in, uh, out of those creative teams that are not specific to just one franchise. So Stubbs, Rick, there's the answer to your question. Uh, let me know what you guys thought of High Busters. I really enjoyed it. The next question comes from GamePositiveYT over on Twitter, of course, the YT for YouTube, GamePositive writing in, do you think that uh, while a lot of developers love Game Pass, some indies might hold back releases from Xbox because they do not want to release onto Game Pass or do not want to compete against Game Pass titles as retail releases, games like Hades, Pathless, Fall Guys, Stray, etc.? Game Positive, that is a great question. I, I have often struggled with the idea of this immense value that we get with Game Pass. Everybody should have it. I, I'm a staunch supporter of it. I genuinely think we should all have Game Pass Ultimate. It is by far the best value in gaming. But as that value continues to rise, so too does the difficulty of optics. How do you spotlight smaller titles, those hidden gems, those smaller indie titles, like you said, in a service where you've got, at this point... 200 plus games available to the player thanks to ea play and bethesda coming in and all the indies that were already there how do you showcase these i've talked about game pass quests being a good way to do that you know giving people reward points for checking out different titles getting achievements and whatnot Um, but as to your specific question for people holding back holding back their releases on xbox i do not think that is the case If they have the ability and it's easy to do so, releasing onto multiple platforms is something that many developers have said actively they want to do. They've also said that Game Pass continues to help sales of their game because people are more likely to check it out and share and and people are seeing that they're playing it. Uh, It tends to help their engagement numbers, getting their their leaderboards, etc. It's good all around for them. The question of optics, though, is a great one. Would a game like Hades have been really seen and seen well if it dropped into Game Pass and not necessarily onto the Switch or or something like that, and I don't have metrics or data to show that offhand, but I think it's a fair question to ask. I do not think, though, that when you're dealing with games of the quality like Hades, Fall Guys, and Pathless that know what they are and do what they do so well, I don't think that's necessarily a question for them. For smaller titles that are kind of middling and in between there, uh, I think of something like randomly like Mr. Shifty over on the Switch uh, and now onto Xbox, that would probably have benefited from being in Game Pass and more people uh, able to check it out. So I think in most cases, you want your game onto Game Pass, Game Pass for PC, Game Pass Ultimate, Game Pass on console, Android, whatever it is, because it's that many more screens for people to check out your work. The question of profitability, I think, is a fair one to ask after that, though. You know, is it financially viable to be in Game Pass? Uh, and it depends largely on the deal you make. And I'm curious if we will ever see made public specifics to those deals. Microsoft has not commented on them in the past. We've heard some developers come out and say that, yo, I would rather get the the big upfront money for Game Pass versus the engagement stuff and and there are different studios that cut different deals. Some of those deals are becoming more and more transparent. Some publishers are now publishing their contracting uh, agreements with different people. A company like Raw Fury just came out and showcased what it is they take into account when they're giving people contracts. And I think that's a good practice right now. I don't know if that's a long term good thing or not. I just don't have the knowledge base for that. In my mind, it sounds good. Uh, but. I think it's a great question to ask Game Positive. You know, do companies want to hold back because they would rather just sell games over on other platforms? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think they would rather be in Game Pass versus not. They would rather be available, get the upfront monies or or the spotlight that comes from it. And we know that games cycle out of it, so sales for that game would, would go up. We also see a lot of games structure their economic models to be available as a base game play the entire game it's in game pass short and then you have incentive uh, to purchase you know dlc microtransactions cosmetics things like that Um, there's a lot of pushback on that method from some i subscribe to that method i like that method the idea that i can spend money to support something and it's up to me as the consumer to not be taken advantage of and to avoid any egregious spending that is also a lot of responsibility and Not everyone is as informed as someone who hosts a podcast or has access to free games in some cases. So there is a balance to that that I recognize. But great question, Game Positive. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for writing in. This next question comes from Clint Coombs. And Clint writes in and says, What's the best game to launch around Christmas that you can remember? That is such a good question, Clint. Uh, My answer, of course, is Far Cry 3. That was one of the first games to really have a big December release date, and at the time, I remember working, I believe I was working at GameStop at the time. Uh, We were surprised by the fact that it would be coming out. That was in 2012, I believe, is when it released, 2012. Uh, in December and it oh you know what it was, it was late November early December, but it felt like a big deal because it was coming out after Black Friday and that game was so good to my mind it was revolutionary in the world of open world games there were other games that had done first person exploration and combat well but didn't land the open world aspect of it in the way that Far Cry did with such a dynamic world I mean I, I used to sell people the game with a true story mind you where I was playing Far Cry 3, and I was hunting, I think it was a deer, and I was moving in to bow the deer down, and then a mountain lion attacked the deer while I was going after it, and so I shot the mountain lion uh, and got both of them, and then in the midst of all that, I think I panicked and threw a Molotov, which let the whole forest on fire, and I saw other animals running away from the fire, and it was just so cool to see all of it happen in real time. The, the line, mountain lion hunting the deer that I was also hunting and then the fire. It was just really cool. And so I think that Far Cry 3 did a lot for games that were coming out post-Black Friday but pre-Christmas uh, because those are big. That's just a very strange time to, to miss out on some of the Black Friday sales and, and the spotlight that you get from being in advertisements. But then to be available pre-Christmas was interesting as well. I I think that window has died down a little bit with the rise of digital distribution. I mean, we're seeing so many games be sold digitally. I think it was something like 70-ish percent of Cyberpunk sales came from digital sales, which is just nuts. And then you think about the fact that they sold 13 million copies of Cyberpunk 2077 without – I'm sorry. With that including the refund, so it's just nuts. Um, but yeah, man, my answer to your question, which game you know came out around Christmas time, uh, sticks out in my mind. It's definitely Far Cry Three. What a great, what a great game that was, and and what a dope, dope thing to do to kind of open up that December window for other games to be successful in. So that's a good question, Clint. Thanks. <laughs> This next question comes from Ben Cold Shadows over on Twitter, and he says, What about sharing some personal holiday memories involving games as a kid? Oh, Ben, oh man, that, I love this question because I get to go down memory lane. And I think I've talked about it before, but many a Christmas, many a Christmas, one Christmas, uh, I received Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid for Christmas from my grandmother. It was a huge deal to get a game like this. Two discs, I've been following it in magazines, I have posters on the wall. As a kid, I didn't know why I was so excited for it, but I was, and after playing it on the demo disc and then to get the real game was just, just incredible going around Shadow Moses to have to flip over the back of the CD jewel case to find out a code to advance in the real game. It was just a super incredible experience, and I can remember staying up all night Playing that game, snow was outside, I got snowed in that January, so we couldn't go to school, and so I would just play Metal Gear Solid all day, and then quite coincidentally, several years later, the same event kind of happened with Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. Same grandma got me the gift for uh, the holiday, I believe I had a demo disc for that as well. Later on, we were snowed in through the month of January, and I played through all of Metal Gear 2 multiple times, and it was just a wonderful time, and I remember it so fondly. Just sitting downstairs, uh, into the evening hours, in soccer pants, in in my 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 like relaxed gear, and just playing on the, the PlayStation, the the experiences of Metal Gear Solids one and two, and that was awesome. I think another another cool memory around the holidays was uh, playing Extreme G at a friend. We would go over to my friend's house and play his N64, and playing Extreme G that was a, I think it was Extreme G3, I loved that game back in the day, Uh, yeah, those were, those were fun, good, good holiday memories, Uh, more recently, I, I enjoy playing, I think it's, Arkham Origins is the one that I love so much, that, that is in the, the winter time, and it's Christmas time in the Arkham universe, and I love the Arkham games, so I've played a lot of that around the holidays for sure, but more recently, it's just multiplayer games with my buddies, you know, like, we have time off from work so we'll jump into whatever is is hot in the moment um, but yeah yeah good question man thanks what's going on everybody this is Malik Prince from Team Xbox and you're listening to the Xbox expansion pass <laughs> This next question comes from Mr. Famous Seamus himself, and he's asking the big one. He's talking about Cyberpunk 2077, and he says, Do you think CDPR can recover their reputation after the, quite frankly, disastrous launch of Cyberpunk? How can we trust them when they forced reviewers to only use B-roll footage that they provided, their boss liking the tweet that said Avengers was worse than Cyberpunk, and the crunch the developers had to do even though CDPR said they wouldn't do crunch, among other things? Ooh, man. Okay, so to, first up, I don't know about the tweet. I, I not saw anything about uh, the, the leader uh, of CDPR liking the tweet about Avengers being worse. I've not seen that myself, uh, so I can't speak to that specifically. But as for whether or not CDPR can recover, absolutely. Easily, yes. 100% CDPR can recover. Whether or not that's a good thing remains to be seen. I'm not advocating that. But can they recover? Of course. Yes, you look at games like Destiny, you look at games like No Man's Sky, particularly No Man's Sky given Sean Murray's uh, verbal faux pas early on and not being PR trained and then to win best ongoing game and to have grown No Man's Sky the way they did of course CDPR can recover, particularly when you're the developer of The Witcher 3, all those DLCs, Gwent, all that money coming in from there, from GOG. They sold, I believe the number is 13 million copies of of Cyberpunk 2077 after the refunds. They had 8 million pre-orders. Yes, this game can absolutely recover. Yes, this studio can absolutely recover. There is a lot of damaged goodwill that will be quickly nullified the moment something good comes out from them. Now, Cyberpunk, rather, is a great game on PC. It's running well now on the Xbox Series X. I don't know about the PlayStation 5 version. And through the subsequent patches, it will become the game that they want it to be. Gaming is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately industry. We continue to allow slip ups from many a company in gaming because we want to play the most recent hotness how many times have you heard people say i'm done with activision that with this latest call of duty stunt activision does just fine right so i think it's a what have you done for me lately industry and cyberpunk is a great game when it works and they're working on making it work do they actively lie yes Should they be punished for that? Absolutely. I personally did punish them, for lack of a better term, in the way that I I know how as a creator and a consumer I refunded the game. I will wait till the Series X patch comes out and likely get that on sale, but I got my $60 back, and I genuinely haven't been covering the game as far as gameplay experiences because I I have not experienced it and I'm not interested in it right now the fact that they lied that they restricted reviewers in the way that they did the information that's coming out about the way they treated their employees and the severe disconnect between the the developers and the head honchos that were making policy really just sticks accru- I don't like it I, it really bothers me to the nth degree and so I chose not to support it at this time do I think there'll be ramifications of their decisions yes do I think they've done a good job Uh, at fixing and course correcting some of their messaging absolutely not it was great to see they're giving their studios the bonus or the studio developers their bonuses even though they missed the metacritic mark i think metacritic is a silly metric by which they any anyone should get a bonus for their work i think that's a a bad way to incentivize your developers and incentivize your, your the people that are making the product that you want to sell because art is subjective and we've seen plenty of games get critically successful and then be commercially panned and vice versa and so i have no interest in metacritic dictating how a studio gets paid i i think that there certainly need to be some heads that roll at cdpr for For some people to be speaking about how great the game is running and how well it's doing and saying the game is ready, and then for it to launch in the state that it did, even on the Xbox Series X and PS5, is atrocious and embarrassing, and I think it is something that needs to be rectified. Some people do need to lose their jobs, but other people just need to be course-corrected. Where would Sean Murray be if we'd all crucified him to the nth degree and he'd not been allowed to recover. There does need to be balance in that, but no one should be getting becoming a millionaire off of lying. And we also live in a consumer-based society, a capitalist society, so uh, maybe, maybe I'm talking out of my butt there, I suppose, in, in that statement as I look back on what I just said. But uh, yeah, I was really frustrated by it. I chose to refund it. I think they can absolutely recover. It is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately uh, attitude. I do not respect the way they rolled that game out. I do not respect the the flagrant dis- dismissal of the reviewers and their time. But when the game comes back and is ready and it's what the developers envision, yes, I will absolutely play that game. I'm interested. I do want to play it. I just chose not to give them money at this time. But 13 million people did. And by all accounts, many of them are having a great time. And cheers to them for that. And I mean that sincerely. One of my, my best friend, Kev, that I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, he is loving Cyberpunk. When I'm playing Immortals for 40 plus hours at this point, he's playing Cyberpunk and having a ball. Cheers to him. That's great. That's great. But yes, CDPR will recover. They will be rocking it down the line. And I have no doubt that this is just a bump in the road, even with the legal litigations that they are facing. I was ecstatic to see this next person's name jump up into my feed, Miss Scoop Jessica, a longtime friend of the Player One podcast, and I always see her so active over in that community and with Ben Rivers. To see her jump up as a question for me this week was a joy. And Miss Jessica writes in with news that makes me super excited, so let's get to it. She says, Historically, as a Nintendo and eventually PlayStation fan, I recently broke a decades-long snobbishness and got an Xbox Series S. As an experienced gamer who's not super experienced with Xbox, where should I start? That is a fantastic question, Jessica, and I hope that by now you've already decided to take the plunge into Game Pass and simply explore explore what game pass has to offer from any of the ea games that you could have gotten available to you over on the playstation side to the number of hidden gems that are available to you, to the massive amount of indies that are typically associated with Nintendo but available now in Game Pass, there's a lot to enjoy there for far less financial investment than you would have otherwise made uh, on your other systems, which is which is great, and that's what you do and what you want from your new purchase. And the Series S is just it looks so cool. I'm jealous that you that you have that uh, for sure. But as far as specific games, I get this question often, uh, as we know, what specific games should I check out? And of course, I think it's important you check out the Halos, the Gears, etc. Um, for Gears, if you are a little bit bullish about starting a 15-hour game, try the Hive Busters DLC for Gears 5. I hope you have Game Pass Ultimate, that's the way to go there. Uh, but try the Hive Busters DLC, I would say... If you're trying to get into Gears of War, you should be checking out Gears 5 just to see what it has to offer, the visuals, the gameplay, just to try it and see if it's there for you. Call of the Sea is winning Game of the Year awards all around. That's from, uh, goodness gracious, uh, Out of Blue Studios. Of course, we had Tatiana Delgado on the show back in, I want to say, June, and Sissy Sissy Jones, the lead voice actor, back in May, and so you should definitely check out that. Uh, I love the Arkham games. You should check out all the Arkham games that are available Darksiders Genesis, Titanfall 2, New Super Lucky's Tale. If you're a Nintendo fan, New Super Lucky's Tale is definitely one to check out. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order, The Messenger, Katana Zero. Those are all great games. Uh, To go to exclusives again, um, the Master Chief Collection is a joy to see the way games were and then see where they are now. You can do that with Halos 1 and 2, kind of hit the back button and just look at what games were like in 2001 versus, you know, 2014, 15 when they were put together uh, for that collection. The best game in that collection, in my mind, is Halo 4 for a campaign or Halo Reach. Definitely give a shot to those two. Those are really cool experiences to try out. Um, Let's see. I mentioned Darksiders Genesis, I hope. Halo Wars 2 is one of my favorite, favorite uh, exclusive titles. I I love the RTS games, so that's a great way to do it as well. But, I mean, I could go on and just list you games but there's a, a, just a certain joy that comes from exploring Game Pass. So, Jessica, that's my suggestion to you explore Game Pass and see what it has to offer. This next question's got me shaking my head, as it always does when it comes from Mr. Edward Varnell at The Retro Code over on Twitter. He asked, uh, do you think video game ratings, Metacritic, streaming numbers, and tape presentations help Microsoft or only Game Pass is the way to go for sales of a game? Uh, When did any of these become important or are they? And Edward, I think what you're asking are like viewership numbers, are are downloads, people checking out stuff in, in various metrics. Did they become important? And yes, they're all important. It's very important that we see games not just sell well, but be streamed and be tried and played, free trials, taken advantage of, demos, etc., because it is that foot in the door, the exposure, that allows something to catch fire and spread to others. When somebody sees, you know, adds me on Xbox Live and sees that I am playing Immortals Phoenix Rising, that plants a seed in their mind, like, oh, this person that I know Uh, and am friends with over on this platform or follow on this platform is trying this game maybe there's something to it and when I logged on the other day I had 39 friends online I would say about half of them were playing Cyberpunk 2077 and I'm like oh Okay, that plants a seed in my mind that half the people I engage with or am uh, close enough to add with, you know, friendship-wise, and and I see them playing Cyberpunk twenty seven seven. that means, okay, maybe I should be trying that. Maybe I should be playing it. Even with all the hubbubaloo about it, is there something to it? And Game Pass and metrics and streaming numbers, those all factor in to whether or not someone's going to spend money on a game. As far as sales of a game, I don't think sales of a game are any longer the metric that we are looking at or caring about in the Xbox ecosystem. To a point, they are absolutely relevant, but it's not sales of a game any longer. It's time and money spent. It's engagement. Because... There are plenty of people that play Fortnite. I recently got into Fortnite. I'm loving it, actually, which is weird to say. I really hope that Batman pack comes available because I want it. Um, but people are, are playing this free-to-play game, and yet they're buying the Battle Pass. They're buying cosmetics. They're spending money on microtransactions. And while that is an outlier example, the same thing is happening with games like Apex Legends. I would imagine they're hoping that something like that happens with Halo Infinite, which is going to have free multiplayer All right, so you're basically letting everybody try out your game for free. Why? Because they want to have that word Halo popping up on people's feeds. They want them playing it on xCloud. They want them playing on a PC, on Xbox. They want Halo to be everywhere. So I think that those are are metrics that are very important. Those streaming numbers make a big difference. You could tell with Avengers that that game really disappointed a lot of people. Even before the, the critical score, the Metacritic score... People weren't playing it. People weren't streaming it. People weren't interested in it past a certain point. And that game has a lot of free DLC and a lot of paid DLC, and no one's paying for it because no one's playing it. And there's a lot to to weigh in that category. So, yes, those are important numbers. It is not just about sales. Uh, I hope I answered your question well, my good sir. The next question comes from Mr. Skedaddle, and he writes in, of course, saying, What are your thoughts on Tim Schafer of Double Fine distancing himself or themselves from making a Banjo-Kazooie game when he recently spoke on IGN? If you're unfamiliar of what he's talking about, Tim Schafer was recently on an interview with Ryan McCaffrey for his show. I believe it was for Podcast Unlocked. It could have been for Unfiltered. Uh, but Tim Schaefer was asked by Ryan about you know, making a Banjo-Kazooie game. A lot of people think that Double Fine has the talent and the skill to do that. Of course, they're making Psychonauts too. And his response, I'm sorry, Tim Schafer's response, was was very cautious and essentially backed away from the idea that people should be thinking that. He said, you know, Rare is still out there. They're the ones that should be making Banjo-Kazooie. Double Fine, perhaps not, not the right studio to do it. It doesn't make sense for us to do it. It doesn't match their vision for the games they want to make. And, skedaddle, I, too, like many people, understand why we would go with, you know, why not have double I make it? They're really talented. they got a lot of personality. Why not have them have a go with it? In fact, I, I kind of want them to, if I'm being honest. I would love to see what a Tim Schafer-led Banjo-Kazooie game would be. But for him to be so cautious and to back away from it and, and as you said, distance himself from the idea of working on Banjo-Kazooie, that, that's pretty telling in and of itself. When a creator says, you know, I don't want to create that, I think that means the art that we would get from it is not likely to be what everybody envisions. And there's a lot of pressure if you're going to be taking over Banjo-Kazooie, right, which the, the further we get from that or the last game, Banjo-Tooie or whatever it was, the further we get from it, the more the legend builds. And then he's back in, and we put Banjo in Smash and Rares putting out hits with with Sea of Thieves, eleven million concurrent players or some something crazy like that. Uh, Rare, the pressure should be on Rare, you know. They offloaded Battle Toads to Delala, and that had mixed results. I thought Delala did a good job with certain aspects of Battle Toads, but you know, it gave a lot of diehard fans what they wanted. But did it really land? Do you want to be responsible for something like Banjo Kazooie not landing? There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. So I thought it made perfect sense that Tim backed away from the idea of of them being the ones to make it. I think it's important that the creators within the Xbox ecosystem, particularly as they acquire so many studios, they need to be allowed to make what they want to make. As long as they're putting out games into the the ether for Microsoft uh, and they're acquiring studios to do that, they should be allowed to make what they want to make. If they are building studios like you have the initiative, then it's a little bit different. The way they built 343 and the coalition, they said, all right, you are making this game with this timeline and this genre. Cool, no problem. I think that's important. But when you have a studio like Double Fine who was acquired, they should be free to make what they want to make. And I don't think we need to be cautious about – or rather nervous is the right word – about Microsoft allowing developers to create. They seem to be, have a, be giving many of their studios a wide berth. You uh, mean, for goodness sakes, they, 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 instead of doing a CDPR and pushing Halo out before it was ready, they said, nope, wait. Don't just wait. Wait over a year. That game would have been out uh, early November, and they showed it in July, and it's now coming out a year and a half after July of when they showed it. So it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're waiting. We're going to do it right. So I think we should, we should have you cautiously optimistic for whatever banjo kazooie uh, has in its future but it's not going to be related to double fun before we read this final question and exit from the show i do have an opportunity for you to win salt and sanctuary the 2d dark souls-esque style game supposed to be very difficult uh set yourself down if try and redeem this code on time if you're able to this code for Salton Sanctuary is X2 FJC, T9wGW, J4922, K7VK7, 647KZ. That was for Salt and Sanctuary. Hope you got it. If you did not, you do have an opportunity to win one of two Game Pass for PC codes that listener James Suddy was kind enough to give me, giving away those over on my Twitter feed. If you search back just a little bit, you can find the tweet that you need to retweet um, for that, and I will pick the winner early in next week. I do also have one more code for Bartlow's Dread Machine uh, and maybe a few more giveaways to come up over as we go through. But let's end up on this last question from my good buddy Stuart, who was kind enough to write in, saying, As the new year is upon us, what are you hoping to see come to Xbox this gen? For me, it's a brand new Dead Space or third-person AAA game from Microsoft Studios. Also, looking back, what was your favorite game of the past gen? Stuart, I love it. I love it. Favorite game of the past generation was Arkham Knight, for sure. I loved Arkham Knight. I got so much joy out of playing in the Arkhamverse. Uh, For that exact reason, I'm very much looking forward to Gotham Knights in this next generation. I cannot wait to see uh, what this generation has for Batman going forward. Um, But to look back on the last gen, I thought a couple games also stood out beyond Arkham Knight. Uh, There are games that were really, really special, like The Witcher 3. I thought The Witcher 3 was just incredible. I thought God of War on the PlayStation side uh, was just incredible. Best game ever made. I often say that uh, for sure. And let's see, Forza Horizon 3 and 4. Those two games also stand out as being just incredible game experiences. So those are some of my favorites from last gen. Uh, but, but Arkham Knight stands tall as just being my favorite game experience. I just love being Batman. I love that character. I love that game world. And I'm anxious to see what Gotham Knights does for that gameplay. I know it's not technically in the Arkhamverse, but Suicide Squad is, by the way, not excited for Suicide Squad in the slightest now. That gameplay that we saw, or, or rather the trailer teaser, whatever it was, from Rocksteady, uh, that did nothing for me. In fact, it actually removed my excitement for the game. I have very little interest in Suicide Squad characters outside of uh, Harley Quinn and Joker when he's around-ish. He's, he's not like in the Suicide Squad, but he's around it. I just, I'm just i not thrilled by it, um, and I don't like that it's a continuation of the Arkhamverse, but Gotham Knights isn't. It, I don't know. I just don't. Not not excited for Suicide Squad, especially after Avengers. That I don't need. I don't need. I don't think I need that kind of game. But but we'll see. Who knows? Lots of time between now and then. Really looking forward to uh, the new Halo Infinite. I want to see really how they plan to rectify it, how they plan to uh, approach the criticisms of the demo, but also provide for Halo fans. I want to see how gaming models in the next generation change. Fortnite certainly did a lot for the three, the free to play genre and battle royales as well, but Fortnite in and of itself is becoming a platform for concerts, for events, for celebrating holidays and new years and and all these different types of approaches. So what does what does gaming look like? in this next generation as we see more screens become available, as we see cross-play, cross-save, cross-buy, cross-everything continue to evolve. I mean, my best memories over the past few weeks are playing Call of Duty and Fortnite with friends that are on Xbox Ones, on PlayStation 4s, PlayStation 5s, my Xbox Series X, and PC. I mean, it's just... That's cool. That's the future, and so I want to see what NextGen has for that. Um, I'm right with you, man, on wanting a new dead space. Oh, my gosh, how cool would that be, right, a new dead space? Very curious also to see what happens with the, the Microsoft Studios, not just the initiative, but what are they going to continue to add? What new IP do we see come from them? There's a lot to celebrate and to look forward to there, so uh, we'll see what, what comes from that. But, yeah, great question, Stuart, great question. Guys, I think that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As I said at the top of the show, uh, a bit of, an, of a reflective episode, as will the fun one with Kevin and Mr. Bad bit B as well. But I wanted to just chat with you guys because I, I love this show. I love that you are willing to listen to it and hang out with me uh, each and every week talking about the Xbox ecosystem, celebrating gaming, not putting down other systems. That's a huge and a very important thing. Uh, remembering that games are not great or trash, that there's always an in-between. There's there's a lot to enjoy in the games that aren't perfect and a lot and, and the ecosystems that aren't perfect. But thank you for being here with me. Feel free to check me out over on Twitter, at InsipidGhost. You can, of course, follow this show on any of the podcast platforms. You can always email me, insipidghost, at gmail.com. Happy holidays, happy new year, and I look forward to hanging out with you guys again. Take care. <music>